Hello and welcome to another episode of Adventures in .net. I'm Sean Claybo, your host, and with me today is Y Lu. Hey, Y. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing good. How about yourself? Yeah, pretty good. It's pretty early here. I had um, a pretty late night last night watching the tennis. So. <laughs> ah, ah, uh, yeah. I saw the uh, in the news this morning that Coco Golf won, beat the yeah, big the upset. Yeah, not only she yeah beat one of the Williams sisters, but also beat the the Japanese girl. So yeah, uh, she's doing yeah. really well. She, yeah. she was the reigning champion as well. So yeah, yeah, that was big, big, big. And she's only fifteen. Amazing. Yeah, so no, it's crazy. Yep. We also have on the panel Caleb Wells. Hey, Caleb. Hey, y'all. Hey. Hey. Yeah, I think about a fifteen-year-old winning. And it makes me feel like I haven't done a whole lot with my life. <laughs> yeah. Definitely wasn't doing that as 15. So. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing, amazing. And today on the show, we have the one, the only, Mr. 1.2 million on Stack Overflow. Yeah, it's John Skeet. Nice Hi, John. Hi. Hey. hey, John. John. Are you stuck at home climbing the walls when you should be hanging out with the community at the latest conference to get canceled? Are you wondering where to hear your JavaScript heroes like Amy Knight? and Douglas Crockford, and Chris Heilman. After the cancellations, I decided to put on a JavaScript conference for you, online. I invited my favorite folks from around the web and got them to come speak at an online event just for you. Go to jsremoteconf.com and check out our speakers and schedule. The conference is on May 14th and 15th. The call for proposals is open until March 31st. Come join us at an online conference that we guarantee will keep you safe and keep you informed. JSRemoteConf.com. So amazing, John. You know, 1.2 million or getting close to there on Sack Overflow. How do you do it? Uh, do you know, for the last few years, so the, the first few years of Stack Overflow, I was very, very active and uh, writing, you know, 10, 20, 30 answers a day. And I'm still very active in terms of looking on Stack Overflow, uh, but I tend to actually answer at most five, uh, five posts a day these days. Um, so if you look at my reputation graph, actually, these days, I'll average 200, 230, etc. And I'm mostly just living off interest, effectively. Um, <laughs> so let me, let me just see. So I've got just coming up to 35,000 answers. And that means that, you know, if I get 20 upvotes a day, that takes me to the rep cap of 200. So, you know, you can do the math of how many 20 answers out of 34,900 is, it doesn't take a huge proportion getting an upvote to hit the cap. So yes, it would be, I would be gaining significantly less rep now if I just started off. Um, as I did a couple of years ago, I, I posted as Daisy Shipton for a little while, for about six months to see what the experience would be like and learned some interesting things from that. But yes, didn't hit the rep cap nearly as often. I think I may have hit it a few times, but not terribly often. I completely own up to living off old answers. <laughs> yeah, even more amazing than the 35,000 answers was only 50 questions. Oh, well, there are some people, I'm not sure whether Eric Lippert has yet asked the question. What I'm pleased about is that all of my questions have been well-received. Now, there can be you know, some not quite confirmation bias, but you know, persona bias, I guess, that I'm sure there are some people who see that I've asked a question and think, okay, I will definitely upvote that. Um, I would like to think they're primarily, at least, uh, high-quality questions as well. And 
I like the idea that if you ask a good question, it will get upvoted. And I know that a lot of people have reticence around that and say, oh, it doesn't matter how well you post, there'll always be some people who vote you down and things. There's, there's all kinds of evidence both ways for that, I think. Um, but yeah, people do get excited when I ask a question, but it's not like anyone who th- thinks that I know everything uh, has clearly never worked with me, basically. Um, I get stuff wrong, don't know stuff. I'm on Stack Overflow all the time finding answers and on other sites. So just today I was trying to research how to switch user input languages on Windows because my Surface Book 2 currently has a US-based, a US layout base for reasons I don't really want to go into. Um, So knowing how to switch between them, and in particular, how to switch off the control shift, um, changing the language, which I didn't want it to because I use control shift for other things. Um, So yeah, I was looking at a super user post just today, and I use Stack Overflow as a, a research resource all the time. So anyone who has any ideas about me being this super coder, yeah, just get rid of that immediately. It's just not the truth. So are you also on, um, are you only on Sacrify or are you on... Um, the I other have, so it, it's been a long time since I've posted anything on Serverfault or Superuser. I did a bit in the early days. I have one or two posts on, I can't remember what it's called now, but the Jewish Sack Exchange, which was to <laughs> do with Noda time. So when I was doing some research about the Hebrew calendar system, I wanted to know how how Jewish people handle certain events, um, right. you know, how their calendar system works for, for things. And those questions were well-received as well, because I, particularly on a community where I'm not Jewish, I'm not part of the community, I wanted to be as respectful as I possibly, possibly could. So mm. did as much research as I could and hopefully asked well and diligently. Do you remember what your first Stack Overflow post was what it was about. so I do I didn't remember it um but I I did just have a look and it was uh, it was about C sharp or was it was it about Java yeah no it was C sharp it was what does the private modifier do um and that this was the question was number hundred post number one hundred thirty seven thousand four hundred fifty four so you know Stack Overflow was relatively new I think it was just out of beta I don't have the beta badge on Stack Overflow. But yes, it's about what private means, and there were various answers. It's not the accepted answer, annoyingly. Um, (laughs) Yeah, and the accepted answer just says, it's for you and future maintainers, not the compiler. Um, Whereas I gave a certain amount more more information. (laughs) But I started... I'm astonished that I was so patronizing, and I might have to edit this later on. I started off saying, there's a certain amount of misinformation here, which is kind of true, but maybe not the ideal way of expressing it. Yeah, so so it turns out that on my first sort of session on Stack Overflow, I posted three answers within uh, fifteen minutes, basically, and I'm pretty sure I was I was a bit confused about the rep cap to start with because someone I saw a friend of mine who was already on Stack Overflow the first weekend. I think I started on the Thursday or the Friday, and I saw Douglas on the Saturday, and he was saying, "Yes, you can only get two hundred points a day." I said, no, but I got 230 that day on either my first or second day. And it was just, I hit the rep cap, but got accepted answers. Um, so yeah, it was, it was an interesting entry. And I knew very, very quickly that this was something that was going to eat a lot of my time. I blogged, I think, on something like the second day saying, I think this could be a, a good thing. Did you find it addicting? Is that 
kind of what you yeah well so it's hard to say whether i'm actually addicted to it or whether it's just something i love and know that i love doing and will do therefore i do think i have whether it's an addictive personality obsessive personality i get into things quickly i don't want to put labels on things certainly if they sound clinical and they're really really not it's not (laughs) like i've been diagnosed with any of the many very real psychological challenges but yeah i i tend to get passionate about something i'm really into it and i was previously very passionate on i was doing similar things on the news groups, the Usenet news groups for C Sharp and for Java as well. And before that, on Altbook Stephen King, uh, the, the news group group for uh, Stephen King fans. Back when I was at university, I posted a huge amount there and on the Java side. So I was very already very into writing things for community purposes. And this was just, it felt like finally a better way of doing so on the web instead of Usenet had a lot of things going for it in terms of threading and things, which I'm a big fan of threading. I can see why Stack Overflow doesn't use it, but threaded conversations are generally good. And for ages, people have been you know, pointing me at MSDN forums and things, and all the forums were pretty dreadful in terms of user interface. And these days, even now, they mostly are still dreadful when you compare them with Stack Overflow. Like, I really don't want to have to write the terrible kind of not markdown that you have to do for formatting on a lot of these things. And you have to kind of guess what it is or click to preview separately. The the user interface of Stack Overflow, right from, I won't say day one, but day one of when I saw it, um, already had the preview of you type, you see the markdown, and below it, you see what the result will be. And that's just beautiful for me. I can work with that very, very, very quickly, get the hang of it really quickly, learn about it really quickly. Um, it was, the whole site was fast right from the very start. It was, it was a pleasure to use. And that was a real novelty for me having been railing about um, web forums for a long time. So have you got any um, like tips for, for people that are starting? Cause like for me, I'm one of those people that um, I pretty much only ask questions. Like over the years I answered a couple, right. but... It's Asking just, questions just, just, is great. <laughs> I'm yeah, so pleased I, that now you get uh, you get ten points for an upvote for a question. I felt I for a long like time. You know, why are we making people asking questions almost feel like second class citizens when actually asking <laughs> a really good question? There are far more good answers on Stack Overflow than good questions. So I really, really want to support good questions. Um, uh, so if you're asking good questions on Stack Overflow, you are every bit as much of a living, beating heart of the community as someone who's posting a load of answers. Um, Sure. (laughs) That said, you can enjoy posting answers as well and get an awful lot from posting answers. A lot is about finding the relevant ones, the ones that you can answer, not necessarily better than anyone else, but that you can get to and, and give a good enough answer and one that goes into the right level of detail links to more detail potentially and obviously do that reasonably quickly the the fastest going the west problem is very real on the other hand actually it's it's kind of good that people scramble to get answers so long as they're scrambling to give good answers because it means that the questioner gets an answer really quickly so i reckon most people unless you're very very new i'm sure you have things to contribute. Whether you have the time to contribute them is a different matter. It does take time, but 
I find it's invaluable for building skills of not just the obvious, oh, I saw a question on something I wasn't sure of, and then I went and did some research and diagnosed the problem and, and learned about something at the same time as helping someone. That's kind of hopefully taken for granted as a good thing for, for mm. your skill set. Um, but what I think is far, far more important is that Stack Overflow helps you gain empathy for um, the problems that other developers are facing. So as an author myself of C Sharp In Depth, you know, I, I really, really want to know what's confusing people about C Sharp as a language and then test out. It's almost like I can do beta testing of bits of the book by saying, right, well, if I explain this difficult concept in this way, do people get it? I can try it a different way. You know, the number of different times and ways I've expressed the differences between variables, objects, and references, for example, like just so many times, and I now have reasonably tried and true analogies that I think work for people. But this business about communicating, so understanding the, having the empathy for what people are finding difficult, then knowing the best ideas to communicate the answer, and then expressing that well in the actual words themselves, they are immensely useful skills for all software engineers um, across the industry, across the languages, you, know, you name it. Um, I was recently, in fact, just earlier this week at a school careers fair, and various people were saying, you know, what should I do for, and um, they were choosing their subjects to do at sort of 17, 18. And when people were saying, okay, I'm going to do maths, physics, electronics, chemistry, or something similar, I was encouraging them to either throw a humanity into the mix there or at least keep doing something that was more human-focused, let's say, um, in their spare time. So when I was uh, doing my A-levels, uh, the sort of the qualification you do at 17, 18 in the UK, along with BTECs and things, but when I was doing my A-levels, I did four very science-y type things, so double maths and physics and electronics, but I also did um, a half A-level in performing arts. And looking back, I think that was the most useful qualification that I did. Not because any, you know, no one's going to hire me as an actor. They would be very foolish to do so. I'm not, I love acting, haven't done it for quite a while. Um, not terribly good at it. Better at directing, but still not terribly good. But the important thing is it, it's all about communication. Um, I remember my performing arts teacher at the time saying that the key to Shakespeare and to, to some extent all other playwrights, but Shakespeare in particular, is to look at the script and work out the parcels of ideas. And you're delivering those parcels one at a time to the audience. And that's how you make sure that the ideas get through, even if the language is a bit unfamiliar. And so that, those ideas around how to communicate were ingra ingrained in me during sixth form. And then at university, I did, did more performing arts um, and always kept a hand in. And I think that's really, really helped me because communication is what we do as software engineers. It's far, far more important that I can listen to other people and understand where they're coming from, gather other information, come to a view, and then communicate my ideas persuasively and succinctly. That's a huge amount of what software engineering is. And it's probably more important and much harder than writing a for each loop that happens to go and you know pull something from a SQL database or whatever. There are clearly technical skills are still important, 
But what we rather dismissively call soft skills are really the core of a truly awesome software engineer. And I think Stack Overflow really helps you develop those skills more than anything else. That was an extremely long-winded answer to the question. So when I said about communicating with brevity, yeah, do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> so you've probably awesome. looked at more questions than just about than most people. So mm-hmm. what, what makes a good question versus a not good question? So I have a whole long blog post, um, which I rather regret giving the title of um, something like asking the perfect question. Uh, I can give you the uh, a link to it later on for show notes. Um, yeah. But um, it's a, a long post because that's what I tend to do. Um, the, writing the perfect question. There we go. And it starts off with the golden rule of when you're writing a question, when you've written your first draft of it, go back and read it as if you were someone who knew the answer. Does this question have all the information that you would want to see if you were wanting to write an answer? Um, so it's a little bit sort of do unto others as you would have done to you. Um, there are more specific things like uh, if you're talking about code, then show the code, show it as text rather than, than as an image. Um, the common thing is saying it doesn't work or there's an error instead of, um, this fails to compile at this line and here's the exact error message or there's an exception, here's the stack trace. All of those things are much better. You wouldn't go to a doctor and say, I'm not feeling well. You've got to diagnose me just from that. You'd say, I've got this pain in my leg. It comes and goes. It's worse in the morning. You, know, you give all the information you can. You don't just say, I don't work, which is the equivalent. Um, <laughs> so making sure you've included all the relevant information, but at the same time, not being so long-winded, you know, you've got to remember that every every minute that it takes someone to read this is a minute out of their lives. And if a hundred people are going to read it, or maybe over the course of let me let me just look at um, not my first question because I suspect or my first answer because I suspect lots of people might have seen that. So looking at my second answer is a question that's been viewed three and a half thousand times. Now, if you if you're asking people to spend one more minute than they have to, to read that, and 3,000 people are reading it, that's 3,000 minutes, that's a lot of time. Um, so any, if you can put 10 minutes into making your question one minute quicker to read, that's an easy investment in terms of global goodness. And I guess that's, that's really the key to it, is to think of the purpose of asking a question on Stack Overflow as, is this going to enrich the world's knowledge? I can't provide the knowledge, but I can provide the sort of the way into that knowledge by Mm. asking a good question. So understanding that you're asking people to give help. So what you give back in return is the well-written question. So before Stack Overflow, you know, where did it all start for you in development and things like that? So coding itself started on the 48K ZX Spectrum, which was an 8-bit computer in the UK. If you talk to developers of my age in the UK, they will either be BBC Micro people or Spectrum people or Commodore 64 people or some Amstrad ones. Those were the sort of four fairly big computers that we had in my... I think we got the Spectrum when I was eight or nine and I started programming at about 10 probably up until by the time we were in sort of 16, there was an Atari ST and the Amiga and things and starting to code on PCs. But just that sort of five, six, seven year period where I was coding on the Spectrum, very limited power, but 
you turned it on and you were basically at a prompt where um, unless you hit load double quotes, which was what you would normally do if you were going to play a game, which was what most of us were doing most of the time, but it, if you hit P instead of J, um, it would say print. And then and <laughs> every keyword had just a single letter on the keyboard. So P would be print, and then you could print stuff. And it was, it was a basic prompt, effectively, and you could just type in lines of code, and it would all do stuff. So I started learning basic on the ZX Spectrum. And looking back, I would, I would love to have the code for this. And I would also really like to know exactly when I was working on it. But one of my proudest achievements as a developer was writing a logo interpreter. So logo is this language that um, certainly used to be taught to school kids when I was at school. And the idea was there was this virtual robot called a turtle and the turtle notionally had a pen coming out of the bottom. And there were real live turtle robots that you could buy, but I don't think I ever saw one in person. But the idea is you could program this turtle by saying, you know, forward 100, right 90, which would be 90 degrees, forward 100, right 90, forward 100, right 90, forward 100, and you've drawn a square. Unless I failed to count, in which case you've got three sides of a square. And you could say, okay, that's, that's just eight commands. Instead, you could build a loop, you could store variables, etc. And we had this on the BBC micros at school. So schools tended to have BBCs. And I wanted to do it at home. And I couldn't find, and obviously there was no internet then, at least not available. So this is 1984, 1985, 86 maybe. No internet where I was. But I couldn't find any sign of a logo interpreter that you could get for the Spectrum. And being 10 or however old I was, I just decided, okay, I'll write one then. And looking back, you know, this, is, this is not a, a simple project. And for someone, this, it's not like this was my first project, just to be clear. I've you know, been doing bits and pieces um, and enjoying writing little games and things. But this was my first really big project that I remember. I look back and the code was probably awful, but I did a good job in terms of features. You could have variables and loops and everything, save your program to tape and then load it back from tape and things. And I'm sure it was really painfully slow, but basically it worked. So how did you figure out how to do it? Um, obviously, you didn't have Stack Overflow back then. So right. So the ZX parents, Spectrum or? came with a really good manual. And you can tell the quality of this manual. It was about an inch thick and it didn't just teach you basic but it taught you the things you needed to know to understand the basic. So there were keywords for sine and cosine. Uh, those were explained in the book, in the, in the manual, and that's how I learned trigonometry. I didn't learn trigonometry at school because I wouldn't learn it for another three or four years. I learned it from the Spectrum Basic Manual. And because when you start Logo, your turtle is facing north, uh, facing straight up the screen, and so that's where I tend to think of things. And I tend to think, or at least I used to think, you know, before university maths and things, I used to think that you measured angles clockwise, because that's the, you know, most things ha happen clockwise, turns in games and things. Measure it clockwise, and the sign was the X value. If you multiplied the, the distance you're going by sign of the angle clockwise from vertical up, then sine would be the x and cosine would be the y, instead of you know, the, the typical maths way of thinking about it is anti-clockwise from the x-axis, so pointing right, 
um, and then sine is the the y value and cosine is the x value. But because of because of my background in writing logo, I got everything not wrong. It's just a different way of looking at things. Um, right. But it's a real testament. And if I ever find out, I, I might do an investigation, see if I can find who wrote the ZX Spectrum manual and go and buy them a beer or whatever the equivalent would be because <laughs> they did such a good job. If you can teach a 10-year-old or an 11-year-old, you know, I was a reasonably bright and interesting kid, but if you can teach a 10-year-old trigonometry in a manual, you're doing really well as a writer. <laughs> yeah, I think Caleb and I can kind of relate to uh, things around that time. Right, Caleb? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, uh, they definitely don't make manuals like they used to. Right. Yeah. But computers, you <laughs> I, know, my first... My first computer was a 4K TRS-80 computer, and about the advanced, most advanced program I could write for that was a Hangman game, and I could only get 25 words in it before I ran out of memory. So. <laughs> yeah, I had a, I wrote a, a platform game um, on the BBC Micro at school when I was uh, at, at secondary school. So this was a few years later, and I managed to get a load of classmates into designing levels for it. But I had to work out, in order to get it all to fit into memory, um, I had to work out some, effectively, a compression algorithm for how to represent the levels, um, which was also quite fun. I mean, now I'd think, well, no, you load the level from disk instead. It's not part of the program code. But hey, I had no idea of good practices then and separating mm -hmm. code from data. Nah. It makes perfect sense to me, especially, uh, right? thinking about your age and what you were dealing with, I, I wouldn't have even thought to be like, oh, well, let me see how I can compress this to get it all to fit. <laughs> so. well, it's one of those things, I didn't bother doing anything, and this is still now, this is a 30-year-old memory of the code that I wrote. I think it was sort of hand compression, effectively run-length encoding that was done by hand when I was typing in, effectively transcribing the levels from uh, maths exercise books because they had squared paper. I managed to get the teachers at school to say, right, can I have a load more maths books to give out to the class so they could design levels and then give them back to me? And then I would transcribe them into the code. And yeah, <laughs> after we got to something like 10 levels, then doing it without any compression, uh, there wasn't enough. It wasn't execution time space. It was the, the program could only be a certain size and I ran out of space. So yes, I, I can't remember the details of the compression. Um, it was... Relative, certainly relatively primitive compared with what I'm sure more whiz kids would do. But yeah, it was fun. I once printed out the entire code that included all the levels and whatever, and it you know, it went easily from one end of the computer room to the other, um, and was of course somewhat pointless. But hey, <laughs> early in my career, I figured out which jobs were worth working at and which ones weren't, mostly by trial and error. I created a system that I used to find jobs and later contracts as a freelancer. If you're looking for a job or trying to figure out where you should go next, then check out my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. The book walks you through figuring out what you want, vetting companies that meet your criteria, meeting that company's employees, and getting them to recommend you for a job. Don't settle for whoever has listed their job on the job board. Go out and proactively find the job you'll love. Buy the book at devchat.tv slash job book. That's devchat.tv slash job book. So, uh... A couple of things you're you're interested in right now is um, your drum kit and mm -hmm. how versioning works in .NET and how that impacts Nototime. Which which do you want to dig into? Oh well, they're all so much fun. Um, <laughs> basically, um, so this is not an 
advert specifically, but I have a Roland TD17 KVX, which is a nice drum kit that I bought last July. Actually, I bought a KV last July and then a KVX a bit later. It's a complicated story. And when I was in the store uh, trying to pick a drum kit with a friend of mine who's a drummer, at this point, I really hadn't done any drumming whatsoever. So she was there to sort of give me some guidance. And we were looking at either the TD-17 or the TD-1, which was more of a beginner's kit and significantly cheaper. Um, Generally wouldn't produce as nice sounds. I wouldn't learn to drum as well. But more importantly for me, the module, which is the sort of brain of the drum kit, um, is the the bit that effectively turns you smacking into into the pads into noises. The brain of the the module for the TD-1 is relatively primitive, not just in terms of you get a certain number of drum kits, sort of preset drum kits, and there are a certain number of instruments, and there are more of them, and they sound better on the TD-17, and that's kind of as you'd expect. But more importantly, the the MIDI interface, because you can plug this into a computer via MIDI, that these days, fortunately, is just over USB. You don't have to have an actual MIDI cable with a MIDI port on each end. But the MIDI protocol for the TD-1, you can record what you're playing on the drum kit. You can play stuff back to the drum kit. But as far as I'm aware, you can't do the kind of thing that I've been doing, which is configuration. So the mm. the TD-17, each kit, there are notionally 100 kits um, so whenever you're playing, you select which kit you want to do. So am I trying to play a pop song? Am I trying to play a rock song? Am I blues or whatever? And it gives you different styles of bass drum, etc. Each of those kits contains a bunch of different instruments, as they're called. So you can say, well, I want the the head of the snare drum to sound like one instrument and the rim of a snare drum to sound usually like the rim of a snare drum, as it were. The the head and the rim usually sort of go together, but they don't have to. You can say, okay, well, I want the head of the snare drum to sound like a, um, I don't know, a, an 18-inch tom or, or some some tom-tom, and I want the, the rim of the snare drum to sound like a cowbell. That's, as far as the kit is concerned, that's fine. Um, more cowbell. Yeah, yes, always more cowbell. I have a max cowbell kit, uh, which is just everything is set to a cowbell. Because why not? Um, and uh, normally, you would need to configure all of this on the TD-17 itself. Now, kudos to folks at Roland. As user interfaces go, considering they've got sort of three or four lines of LCD display to play with and some buttons and a dial, they do a pretty good job of it's it's not too shoddy. However... I'm the kind of person that likes to see far more information at a time and edit stuff in a just a nicer way. And we have a perfectly good input system of mouse and keyboard. We have a great output system of monitors. So all I need to do is be able to load that configuration from the module into the computer, mess around with it, and then save it back out. And I was overjoyed to find there's a really good MIDI implementation spec for the TD-17, saying, well, if you send this message in, you will get this message out that has all the relevant information. And I have spent, I won't say wasted, I have spent probably over 100 hours by now, I'm sure it's over 100 hours, writing the code for this. And it's just so much fun. It's something that it doesn't matter if it never works brilliantly, if it's architected poorly, if I don't have enough tests, I'm the only one that's going to suffer from that. 
although I have published this, anyone can download it. If you happen to have a TD-17 or a TD-50, then you can use this and, you know, it's very alpha grade and may not work. I don't think it will kill your drum kit. I don't think it will kill your computer. Anything better than not killing either of them and, you know, count yourself <laughs> lucky. But I've had enormous fun. I've learned stuff about doing WPF with .NET Core 3. Just today, I've been learning about system.commandline. So I'm writing a command line interface to this so that you can, from the, from the command line, say, I would like to load this kit file from the computer and store it on the drum kit as kit number 55 or whatever. I'm writing that and trying it out on Windows. It should work. I know at the moment that it won't because I'll get a seg fault, but it should work from my Raspberry Pi 4. It's still running .NET Core 3, and that's just lots of fun. Completely right. pointless. I don't need a Raspberry Pi for anything. Um, I can plug the drum kit into my computer just as easily, uh, more easily, in fact. But it's just a, a cool thing to do. So yeah, I, I've enjoyed writing the code, learning more about the, the benefits and pains of immutability, of different ways of representing stuff. So currently in WPF, I don't really have a view model as such. I'm just sort of creating a bunch of controls and flinging them on the screen. I've been thinking about how I would write a proper view model. This is without having had much WPF experience and certainly no significant experience in the last you know, five years. And uh, what was the... Oh, I had to learn about um, Authenticode signing. So it's mm. been quite an expensive hobby in that I've paid for an Authenticode signature that lasts for a couple of years and getting that all um, notarized and stuff. It was just an interesting experience, and I feel immensely privileged that I do have cash that I can kind of throw at this, this kind of thing as an investment in enjoyment and learning. And then I've started, and I'm several blog posts behind, but I am writing gradually a series of blog posts about this. I'm talking about it at conferences, and at some point I want to give a sort of very meta talk of Here's how you take your side hustles and do more stuff with them. So, you know, I would have been perfectly happy buying a drum kit, playing the drums, learning the drums, using Drumio, um, using melodics, and just playing the drums. That would have been fine. I'd have enjoyed that. But I've enjoyed writing the code, writing the blog posts, giving the talk, all of this stuff. I, I sort of feel I'm squeezing as much value as possible out of this hobby of drumming. Mm -hmm. And that's a really nice thing to be able to do. Absolutely. Something cool is never pointless. So, you know, it can't go yeah. that far. So yeah. fun is, is uh, definitely worthwhile. And it's, it's definitely improving. There are elements of the code that I can reflect on and throw away and start again in a way that I could never have done with either node time code or with my actual professional code. It's, you know, it's a sandbox. You can play, you can experiment, but the lessons you learn can definitely be applied um, to more real code. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I definitely think the time you've spent coding this is not a waste, especially compared to when I think of the hundreds and hundreds of hours I wasted on World of Warcraft. Right. Yes. Yes. It's, <laughs> yes. I mean, there are obviously. I'm not going to speak against gaming. Um, there right. are social aspects. There are just plain. Hey, you're having fun. Right. Um, right. But yes, this is this has more obvious um, skill benefits. Let's say. Right. Yes. Yeah. You can you can take it to work. Right. So to speak. Definitely. Definitely. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. 
Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.